All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. I'm going to read those and we're going to jump right in. I've got three points for us and a couple points of application as well. You know, I just want to reiterate to you guys, like as high schoolers, y'all are certainly facing different things than you were when you were in middle school. Now, I will qualify that with, I think even for you, the middle schoolers now that are in your place where you were even three, four, five years ago are facing a much different reality even than you were. Now that is certainly true for me and your leaders versus you, but even like your peers that come into this room with you, they are facing some really difficult things. And like I say, I, I say this over and over again, and it's kind of a drum that I keep beating, and I just think it is true. I think one of the biggest attacks on the church in our day revolves around gender and sexuality. That is not a political statement. I just think that that is one of the ways that Satan is creeping into the church. And the reason I say that, and I've kind of shared this with you, is because you have people like me. I have, I have multiple gay family members whom I love dearly, but I can't agree with the lifestyle they live because it goes against not only God's word, but in his word, who he created us to be. So that's why I think it's such a challenge for us is because it's, it's a very emotional thing for many of us. Now take gender out of it, even sexuality. There's a lot of, of trauma, a lot of pain, a lot of emotion that's wrapped up into sexual sin. And I mean, I know a lot of the adults in this room, we, we either have felt that or dealt with that with someone else or walked alongside of them in that. And so I, I just want to reiterate, we are here for you. We, we want to help you think through these things. We want, to, we want to hear the hard, tough questions, and we want to be able to go together to the Lord and to God's Word and think through these things well. Uh, no one in here claims to have all of the answers, but we do claim to have God's word, and we're committed to that. And so please just know that we, we are here for all of the tough questions to think through those things and, and to help one another. So some of the things you're dealing with, I'm not even aware of. And it's helpful to me when I know what's happening in your lives to be a better preacher. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. So Paul, in chapter 5, he talked about the, the sexual immorality where uh, this man was uh, sleeping with his mother, and it was a, an incestual relationship, technically. And so he, he talks about that and tells them why they cannot allow that to happen and what it does to their witness. And then in chapter 6, it kind of seems like he just gives this little reprieve on lawsuits. But really, it's much of the same. He's saying, this is harming your witness to the, to the onlooking world. If you are followers of Jesus Christ, then what you have been saved to is what you have been saved for, right? So you have not only been saved to something, you have been saved to that thing with a purpose in the world. And when you act in these ways, i.e. allowing sin in the church or having all these weird lawsuits over petty things, you are letting the world see not a good picture of who Jesus and the church is, but in fact, a, a false one, a wrong one. And so now at the end of chapter 6, he really continues this same line of thought, but talking not about incest, but talking about sexual immorality as a whole. And so it's really helpful for each and every one of us. And so I hope to, to expound and look at this and help us as we think through these things as well. So starting in, in verse 12 of chapter 6. And notice that these are in quotes. That's really important if you're wanting to understand what's actually happening. He's quoting them. You know, Paul several times has been like, oh, you guys are so smart, right? He's 
kind of like jabbing at them. Well, that's what these quotes are. So verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for just the, the grace you have given us to gather and to consider your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use it to cut deeply, that you would help us to see the ways in which we are failing at what you have commanded us. But Lord, not to cause harm to us, that you might heal us with your gospel, that you might trim away the excess and the fat out of our lives, and that we might be more like Christ because of what we have encountered in your word and how you have used your spirit to change us in our lives. And so we pray and we expect and we hope for that this evening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, I have three points. The first is that sexual immorality is not compatible with a relationship to Jesus. So sexual immorality is not compatible with a relationship to Jesus. The reason I say this is because remember those little quotes I pointed you to in the very beginning? They say, everything is permissible or this translation, depending on what you're reading, everything is lawful but they're saying everything is permissible for me. So their line of thought is this, since Jesus has conquered sin and death, and since he has released us from the captivity of sin and death, which by the way is really good theology, they draw this conclusion, which is wrong. We are then free to do as we please, right? So like, get this, get what they're thinking, because this is kind of the thing that we are tempted to believe sometimes. Okay, you are no longer in captivity to your sin, and you are no longer under the master of death. You have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. So that means that nothing you can do will separate you from what Jesus has given you by his death and resurrection. So you are in a safe position, right? You cannot snatch yourself away or out of the hand of God. The problem is that assurance gave them a false assurance that then we can do whatever we want, right? It, it doesn't really matter then because since our salvation is secure in Jesus, we can live however we want. We are free to do anything because we are free people. And the reason we know that is because they're saying God made food and he made food for the stomach and the stomach loves food, right? God has made these good things. He has given us these good gifts. And so we're to use them as much and as often as we want. And so Paul tells them, yes, you are right. God did make food for the stomach and he did make the stomach for food. And also what that means is God made us sexual beings, which means he made us 
to eventually someday have sex. However, don't think that those are the ultimate things. And don't think that you have the freedom to use and abuse those things. There are guidelines to how you are to be able to, to use them. And that's why he uses this conjunction, but, right? They say everything is permissible, everything is lawful, but then Paul says, but, and this is where it's really important, because your freedom in Christ always needs to be looked at or examined in terms of whether it's actually beneficial to our faith. So the question is not, are you allowed to do this, but does this thing result in holiness? Right? That's a really important point that he's making right at the outset, right? Because he's not addressing this head-on just yet. He's kind of building up to addressing this sexual immorality that's running rampant in this church. He's, he's getting them to think in biblical, godly categories. You don't just get to run around and do as you please because Jesus has died for you. You have to look at every choice you make in life and, and say, is this beneficial to my faith? Does this increase holiness in my life? And I mean, something as simple as food, the Bible says that gluttony is a sin. So God obviously doesn't take pleasure when we just run around and eat everything we want in excess. Right? He wants us to care for and take care of our, our bodies. And so the reason Paul starts here is because he tells us that we are made for the Lord. Right? Our, our bodies are meant to be used and lived in as an act of worship. Right? You're, you're your bodies are not just throwaway things. Your, your body is not just something that will someday perish, it'll be buried in the ground, and you'll just say, sayonara, sucker, right? Like all of the pains, all of the, and we know, we were just talking, we're, we're in our mid-30s, and we're broken. You're over there shaking your head, you know, right? Like, I can't wait to get rid of this body. It is so jacked up, and I'm only in my mid-30s. And some of you are even younger and you're like, yeah, I mean, like sometimes I get out of bed and I'm 14 and I'm like, Ugh. it's like, wait, why did I have to make that noise to get out of bed? Because if you didn't make that noise, you'd still be laying in bed, right? It's just the way we are. And so what he wants us to understand is that our bodies, not just our spirit, right? We're not just worshiping in spirit and in truth. We're worshiping God with our bodies. He will remind them in just a moment, don't you know that your bodies are a temple filled with the spirit? Right? Our, our bodies are valuable things to God. He created them with a purpose. He created them to be means of worship to him in all of the earth. And that's why he reminds them that not only has Jesus been raised, but you will be raised. He'll go back to that later in this book, talking about the resurrection. God so values what you do with your body that someday when you die and the Lord returns, he will raise your body in newness. God really values what happens in the body. And so one of the, the biggest lies of Satan is that sexuality is a freedom, all right? That, that, that sexuality is a freedom that you have, that it's a personal autonomous choice. Autonomous means that you alone get to decide, right? The only problem is that Satan, when he promises that, that it's a freedom that we have, he never actually tells us that this freedom that we have actually will become a master over us that the freedom of sexuality in our life will someday reveal itself to be something that is, is a slave owner, right? If you're thinking, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me explain to you. The easiest example of that truth right now is pornography. I, I speak to so many people uh, literally every week, but multiple times a month at least, who talk about the effects of pornography in their life. 
and, and how they've just gotten to this place where they just can't not look at pornography no matter how much they hate it. Now, do you really want to try to convince me that looking at pornography is really a freedom? Because for the believer, it is not, I assure you. It, it's a slave master. And so what we end up doing is we, we, we partake in something like pornography or, or sleeping around or wh- whatever it may be or fantasizing, right? And please hear me when we talk about sexual immorality. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you even lust after a woman or another, you have committed adultery, All right? So we're not just talking about physical acts. We're talking about even lust in your mind. Even an overactive imagination, Jesus says, is adultery, is sexual immorality, Right? So if you're sitting here thinking, well, I've never done any of these things, yes, you have. You have. And so what we end up doing, though, is we, we say something like, well, you know, this is going to be the last time I do this, whatever this is. Or, you know, I'm in control. I can, I can, I can stop this whenever I want to stop this. And, and then time passes by, and we eventually realize that we aren't actually in control. And not only are we not in control at this point, we've never been in control. The thing we thought we were choosing, the freedom we thought we were exerting, actually was never that in the first place. And then at the end of the day, we're left wondering, okay, well then what do I do now? That's the question I get every single time when I'm, when I'm talking to a young man. What do I do now? Like, and it's desperation. How do I stop doing this? Because the reality is, is it was never a freedom of choice. It was a lie from Satan. It, it was a trap. It was a snare. And now you're stuck in a cage. So we'll, more about that in just a moment. So I'll, I'll give you what I think is the answer, but for now, I want you to feel the weight of not knowing. Point number two, though, sexual immorality goes against who we are as believers, right? So sexual immorality is not just incompatible with our relationship with Jesus. It actually goes against who we are as believers. So in verses 15 through 17, the thing that Paul is drawing out is that believers are Christ's bride, right? We, as the church, are the bride of Jesus Christ. That's why the the Bible uses the church and Jesus as the exemplary marriage. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. It's the exemplar of relationship. It is the height of what it means to be committed to one another. And so Paul reminds them, as believers, you are the bride of Christ. So sexual immorality goes against who you are. Now, why is that? Because a spouse's commitment A spouse's greatest commitment outside of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is to their spouse. That relationship informs every decision that you will make in all of your life. It's it's the thing that's to guide you from the dangers, right? It's the guardrail when you're coming around the curve too fast and about to shoot over the hill. That relationship is the reminder of how you are to act and who you are ultimately committed to. So that's what he wants them to know. But the reality is, is that there is an ever-present temptress in that relationship, and it's sin. Your sin as a believer is always trying to get you to commit adultery against the Lord. Your sin is always trying to get you to commit adultery against the Lord. And so Paul's point here is that what we give ourselves over to, especially as it relates to sexuality, we become one with that thing. I live my life in light of my wife. And I didn't even mean to say it like that. You can write that down, Tyler Kirkpatrick. I live my life in light of my wife, right? Quote me. Right, but I I do. My, My life is not lived just for me. My decisions are not based just on me. 
everything I do has to do with my relationship with my wife. The way I spend my money affects my wife. What I give my attention to affects my wife. What I look at affects my wife. That's, that's the point that Paul is making. What we give ourselves over to, we become one with that thing. We yoke ourselves to that thing. We have an intimate relationship with that thing, right? It becomes a part of who we are. Like you can't know Tyler Kirkpatrick without knowing Chelsea Kirkpatrick. It is impossible for you. I promise you. I promise you. Try to get to know me. You are going to get to know my wife somehow. Right? It becomes a part of who we are. And so that means the residue of our past sin has a way of sticking to us as a nasty reminder. That's what happens with sexual immorality. It, it stains us. It, it leaves us with a residue as a, as a reminder of the adultery we have committed against our Savior. But the same is true also for our physical relationships on earth. Don't think for a moment that you can indulge in any physical, sexual immorality and not have that thing go with you through your life and impact and affect your, your relationships. So what Paul wants us to realize is that our sexuality is actually a matter of spirituality, right? Sexuality is a matter of spirituality. For the believer, you cannot separate what the body does and who the body has been created to be, right? For the believer, sexuality and spirituality go hand in hand. Now, why, why do I say that? Because sexual obedience spurs from spiritual obedience. There's no reason to be sexually obedient to God's word if you're not a believer. Th th there's nothing compelling you to save yourself for marriage. There's nothing compelling you to say, yes, I believe a man is a man and a woman is a woman. None of those things are compelling to you unless first and foremost, they are spiritual convictions. That's just reality. Look around the world. And so when Paul looks at this, he's saying, listen, your sexuality is a matter of your spirituality. So sexual obedience speaks of spiritual obedience, but vice versa, sexual immorality speaks of spiritual immorality. And so when we look at our failures of any sort of sin, but in particular, we're talking about sexual immorality tonight, what he's saying is this doesn't just speak about your actions. It speaks about your commitment to your Savior, right? That's a little bit heavier than just, that's a bad thing, don't do it. That's the rut that Chelsea and I get into all the time with disciplining our children. Stop doing that. Why? Because I said so. Okay, that is true, but is that enough? Like, no, it's not. I don't just want you to be a person who can stop at stop signs. I want you to be a person who can think, why should I stop at stop signs? What are the repercussions of not stopping at a stop sign? Like, I want, I want you to think about being good, not just be good. And so you can save yourself for marriage or for the rest of your life and not be in a right relationship with the Lord. That is absolutely possible. But what Paul is saying is for the believer, sexuality and spirituality go hand in hand. One speaks of the other. And so the reason I say that is because you and I live in a sexually perverse world where we basically just believe that this is something that we're all going to face, we're all going to deal with, and so we all just do it in one way or another. And so you know what? I'm not weird. We're all the same. We all have this issue. Well, we really need to make sure that we don't become desensitized to sexual immorality as if we all do it. No, Paul is saying is if, if this is in your life, like you need to examine your relationship with the Lord. This is not just something you all do. 
like this is this is a red flag in your faith. So like I said, the effects of sexual sin, they can stay with you for a very long time, so, sometimes forever until until you die. I mean, that's absolutely true. But one of the things we do, and especially when you're young, you you say this to yourself. Well, you know, one day when I'm married though, one day when I'm married, I won't deal with any of this. Well, here's the reality. Marriage is not a reset button. Your marriage eventually, someday, Lord willing, will not reset or fix any pattern of sexual immorality that you have cultivated now. And so when I say the residue of these things will stay with you, what I mean is the patterns you've put in place, the things you're allowing yourself to indulge in now that someday won't be a problem, those things go with you and they will impact your relationship with your future spouse. If it's not you having to confess these things, it's then you keeping these things as a secret. And both of those things are really difficult and have implications to them. Now, the answer is be honest with your spouse and deal with the implications, but it's still hard. It's still something you have to deal with. And so the point I'm making is that the residue left by sexual sin can only be wiped away by oneness with Christ. Your future spouse is not going to fix your sexual brokenness someday. I promise. And if you have ever looked at pornography, if you have ever made a, a bad choice, if you have given yourself over to lust in your mind, then let me assure you, you are a sexually broken person. Right? We're broken people. We're fallen. It's, it's who we are. And so the only thing that's ever going to wipe away that is oneness with Christ. Because only Jesus can heal you from the pain and sorrow of your past mistakes. Jesus is the only one that can bring healing into your life. No human being can do that for you. And by the way, it's not fair to ask them or expect them to be able to do that. Because it's not within their ability to do it. You know, sometimes we think, well, like I'm just so nasty or I've messed up so bad or I've done this thing. You know, nobody could know this about me or it would just ruin me. Maybe that's actually true. But here's the thing I want to assure you of. Jesus is the one person who can handle any nasty thing you bring to him. That's the beauty of Jesus dying for sinners, right? What kind of sinners? Just sinners, right? There are no qualifications for what type of sinner Jesus is willing to die for. Nothing makes him blush. That's the beauty of God's grace is that his grace is given to those who do not merit it, to the nastiest, the vilest, the grossest people. And so no one else can do that. Nobody else can handle your really, really nasty stuff the way that Jesus can. And so I, I just, I say that to tell you that if you are living in a pattern of sin and you just think, man, God would totally reject me if he knew. Well, by the way, he already knows. But number two, you can still go to him and you can make those things known. You can confess them to him and you can cry out to him. And guess what? He will not be surprised and he will not turn away. It's wonderful. And then number three, sexual immorality is to be fled from. So final thing, sexual immorality is to be fled from. So why is our sexuality not a matter of personal freedom? So I said that earlier, I didn't really make a lot of qualifications. Why is sexuality or even something like gender not a personal freedom for the believer in particular? Well, let me qualify it with this. Number one, because we are made in the image of God, right? Genesis 1, 26, in the image of God, he made them man and woman, he created them 
right? So in creation, we have been created to be a certain type of person, either a man or a woman. But for the believer, it's ramped up. It's not just that you are made in the image of God. He tells us it's because you have been bought by Christ. So not only are you made in God's image, you have been bought by Jesus. So your freedoms are only freedoms insofar as Christ has purchased them for you. Let me explain. My son has a Nintendo Switch. He is free to use it anytime I say he can. Why? Because we purchased it. It's his. He is absolutely free to use it whenever I say he can. Right? Your, your body, your being, your soul has been purchased by Christ. His death and his resurrection bought you. What does that mean? It means the purpose we have in Christ is to live a life that brings God glory. We haven't been saved just to be saved, right? It's not like, okay, all right, all the saved people over here, all the unsaved people over here. Like sometimes that's kind of the image we get in our head, like sheep and goats, and they're just in two different places. Well, that's true, but that's not the extent of what it is, right? You're not just saved to be saved. Like, hey, look at all these saved people. (laughs) <laughs> right? No. You're, you're bought for something. You're bought to something. And that something is God's glory. So what that means is we have to flee from anything that does not bring God glory in our life. Right? We are purchased to bring God glory. And so the reason to flee sexual immorality is because it does not bring God glory in our body. In fact, sexual sin is one of the most tangible ways that we can commit self-worship. It is one of the most tangible ways that we can commit self-worship. But here's the good news of the gospel, right? Thankfully, being bought by Jesus also means that we've been bought by grace that is greater than any sin. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that God's grace is greater than any sin. And so here's what I want you to know. We're not just obedient because we're told to be obedient, right? It's the same thing like me telling Max, stop doing that okay, like if you say it five more times, maybe I'll listen. No. The reason as believers we want to be obedient is because as we experience the grace of God that we don't deserve, it fuels obedience, right? We realize that this relationship is totally undeserving. And because it's undeserving and it's so gracious and loving and merciful, I want to be obedient. And so quite literally, proximity to Jesus is something that compels us to put off our sin, and to put on obedience. Spending time in the Word of God, praying, gathering with other believers, those things are means of compelling us to be obedient people. Because it's in places like this with people like us that we realize, man, God really is gracious. Like the most amazing act of grace in this room right now is that God called me to be a pastor. If I was one of you or you guys got to go back to my youth group, you'd be like, there's no way that this dude is going to be a pastor, (laughs) right? That's not possible. But here I am. Not because 16, 17, however many years ago that was, I was deserving to be a pastor someday, but because God is gracious and his plans for me were solely because he is gracious. And so as we experience God's grace, that's what fuels our obedience. When I was uh, five or six years old, I can't remember, I was asleep in my room, and I remember just being woken up in the middle of the night, and I was very confused. Like I said, I was very young, and my mom woke me up, and I was like, Mom, like, what's going on, or how, whatever you say when you're five. I said that, 
And uh, she just said, shh, like, come on. And I'm like, okay. And so my mom picks me up out of the bed and we go out of the front door and we make our way through the woods. It's the middle of the night, make our way through the woods. And after a pretty long walk, I don't know how long it was, we ended up at my great uncle's house and spent the night there. And for pretty, a pretty long while in my life, I didn't really know what happened that night. But what I later learned is that my mom's husband at the time was an abusive man and she was, she was fleeing from him. And so I was five or six and I had no idea what was going on, but my mom was in this relationship and in this place where she was literally being abused. And so under the cover of darkness, she got me up and walked through the woods and carried me. You know, when Paul is talking about fleeing from sin, this is the type of thing he's talking about. He, he's not just saying, don't sin anymore. He's, he's, he's calling us to seek refuge, to, to not just don't do it, but to leave this situation and find refuge somewhere. Go to safety. You know, what Paul is saying is do whatever it takes to get away from sexual sin and to the safety of nearness with Jesus. Do whatever it takes to flee from your sexual immorality to the nearness of Jesus because it's the only place that you're gonna be safe. It's the only place that you're gonna find refuge. It's the only place that you're gonna find healing. It's the only place that you're gonna find lasting hope from your sexual sin. And so certainly do all of the radical things you have to do. Smash your phone, take your door off your hinges, end relationships that you've been in for a long time, confess things to your parents, give them your device, whatever you have to do, do those things. But don't just do those things. Right? Your only refuge, your only hope is with Jesus. So get rid of all of the stuff, but flee to Jesus. Because if you're just fleeing from your sin, so you just won't do it anymore, you're going to come back to it because it is your master. It is the thing that you have become one with. And you have to leave that relationship and run to Jesus. Mm -hmm.